we be encouraged this morning. May these uh, words from your word, these scriptures that we will read and these scriptures that we will consider, may they lodge in our hearts and, and really um, have an effect on our minds and, and strengthen our thinking and help us to think rightly in Christ. We ask in his name, amen. If I told you that there was a theme or a, a couple of words in the Bible and that these couple of words happen at least 560 times and that 85% of the Bible by book has these two words, have these two words, I wonder what you would say they are. If you brought a pair of binoculars, I'll give you a hint. On the cover of this book, can anyone make that out? And then what's the picture of? S much smaller than stones and agricultural. Seeds. Seeds and fruit. The two words seeds and fruit. Oh, press harder. The two words seeds and fruit happen 560 times, and I'm not ca counting things like wheat or uh, specific plants. So it, it's quite interesting that there's such a, a profound and frequent reference to things like that. I start with a verse from 1 Peter, which is near the end of your Bible, of course, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever, forever, forever. Forever means eternity, means into the past and the future. The word of God with a capital W refers to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. That's the nature of our birth. That's the nature of our birth. That's a remarkable thing. It is a, a wonderful uh, idea, if you will. I like to think of uh, maybe that before DNA was discovered in the 1950s by uh, Francis Crick, that the ancients would marvel at what a seed can do. It's so small, and yet what it can do. It's amazing. It's, it's so small. And, and why does the Lord in the word use that idea and in fact use this physically? Maybe to point out that physical size is irrelevant in the scheme of things governed by God. And, you know, we like to think about uh, how much information is contained in DNA and people say you know if you if you printed it on paper it would fill a, a very large warehouse the human genome project was headed up by uh, a man who who believed very much in the Lord and this is a I had a conversation with a, a Chinese mathematician the other day and you know this is a it's not just information, it's an entire language buried in that warehouse of information. It's amazing. The director of the German Institute of Physics says that you know, you ha we are accustomed to thinking about mass and energy, but there's something else in the universe, and that is information. 
Well, I submit to you that seeds have an awful lot of information in them. Of course, they do have DNA in them, but they also have, they represent design. They represent uh, a designer. That's why there's design in there, because there was a designer. The reality of the designer is there. And as with any design, there's purpose. There's kind of the first level of purpose, and there's other levels of purpose, and as things unfold, it becomes apparent to us about the different levels of purpose. Function within function, and levels of complexity all contained within this small thing. And you think about fruit, you know, it, it, uh, human beings are not very smart. Um, you know, you have all kinds of uh, instructions in the Pentateuch that if man had actually taken them seriously could have avoided the plagues of Europe, could have avoided uh, dying on a transatlantic voyage uh, because of lack of vitamins. You know, the, as you may know, scurvy, you know, if you only can get some vitamin C, then you can avoid scurvy. And, and scurvy was actually one of the bad things that happened to transatlantic voyagers on sailing ships. For refreshment, my, my wife is a continuous source of criticism of my diet, and, 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 um, but I have, to I have to grant you know, that I don't eat enough fruit, that I don't eat enough certain vegetables, um, but I have to grant that you know, if, I, if I finally sort of say, okay, I'll eat one, the, um, then I am refreshed. It's refreshing. It is refreshing. And you look at what seeds do. You know, the fruit actually has a whole bunch of seeds in it very often, and and, and uh, the whole life cycle is fascinating. How much information and compactness and levels of design and function going from one seed and then uh, a, a bird might eat that and carry it away somewhere else, you know? Th this entire ecology of this planet in, in many ways is, is not even viable without the botanical world. A lot of side benefits. When goats strip, as they have done in much of the Mediterranean, strip the surface uh, vegetation, then you, you don't have root structure and the soil washes away and then agriculture itself becomes non-viable. There's a lot of benefits to things that grow, that come from seeds. And <coughs> the, the, the uh, idea too of, you know, I can plant something and I may well benefit from it in my lifetime. You know, I may not, but depends on the plant. But the idea of fruit refreshing me and giving me vitamins in my own lifetime, that's a beautiful thought too. But it goes beyond that. If I can have an orchard, actually that could sustain my family for many generations. Uh, John Wells went to Portugal to look at cork plantations. And he said to me, David, you, you know about cork. And my mind went back to the sixth grade and I was speechless <laughs> because I remembered I had to do a project on cork in the sixth grade and none of it would come back to me. Because I'm, I'm often proud of the fact that sometimes I can pull this stuff. Oh, I remember that from grade four. Oh, I can remember that from grade six. And I couldn't. But I knew that I had done this project on cork and none of it was coming back to me. But that is when you, when you have uh, a cork uh, orchard or plantation, whatever you would call it, um, this is, a, this is a big investment. This is a long-term investment. But there's really nothing like cork, right? It's a, it's a very particular kind of part of the bark. And if your family has cork trees, 
that actually could represent an economic benefit to you for, your, for generations and generations. It's a, a very special thing, and it requires an investment. And then you have seeds, you know, like you can, you can have hold in your hand. And so, you know, it needs to be planted, it needs to germinate, and uh, just because the seed is in my hand, it doesn't mean it's dead. It actually is packed with ability, if you will, under the right circumstances to bear fruit. The, as I like to call it in our space-time continuum, think of the breadth of the effect of seeds in space and time, the planet, generations. Who would have thought you can hold a handful of them in your hand and the effects, the breadth in time and space of these little things is actually completely incredible and amazing. So you start talking about seeds in the Bible and people's mind go, they're already, you know, I wonder if he's going to say this, I wonder if he's going to say that. <clears throat> so, what's that? What kind of seed is that? It's a, you're right, it's a mustard seed. Now, <clears throat> this, going back many generations, I didn't know this. I'm an engineer, how would I know this? Brassica oleracea. Brassica oleracea was actually a plant that farmers over many, over a thousand years, very, very long time, thousands of years, have made into different varieties, different varieties. I would like to have a word with them about why they did that. <laughs> and that. Now these two here are completely edible with enough cheese. <laughs> but the wild mustard plant, um, the Lord alluded to it. It was something within the experience of his audience, very much so. When it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all the herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Uh, Mark Twain was a person who visited Israel in the 1800s and a couple of other Travelers did, and in their journals, they recorded that some of the mustard plants that they saw were 15 feet high. Now, that's not how they do it now, but under the right circumstances, they can get quite large, and indeed, birds can land in those branches of those plants. Amazing. It's quite amazing. The, uh, apparently, the world trade, David McDonald knows a lot about spices, but the, uh, the world trade in mustard as a substance, as a spice, uh, exceeds all the other spices put together, I read somewhere, which surprised me. Although, when you think of the number of Americans eating hot dogs, <laughs> that probably has an effect on, on the, the value of, of uh, the mustard seed. This, this magnificent panoramic theme that goes back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, now, what I have in my notes here are a series of scriptures, and I've given you the references on this slide. I don't want to put all of these texts on the screen. I want you to listen. I want you to listen. Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, 
and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Satan's heel will be bruised by the Messiah. Goes right back to the beginning. Genesis 15, we'll, we'll go to 15.5. The first promise is in chapter 12, but let's go to 15.5. And he, God, brought him, Abraham, forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. So shall thy seed be. David. We know that the Messiah was a descendant of David. It says in Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice and with justice, judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The, Lord, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The promise of the Davidic Messiah and then we come to Malachi, and then we have 400 years of silence. And then verse 1, chapter 1, first book of the New Testament, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's a fact. It's simply a fact. But looking at the... Um, Intangible aspect of that, perhaps. The Lord Jesus said in John 8:56 to the listeners, some of whom were hostile, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. What are the implications of that? That Abraham saw Jesus' day and was glad. <laughs> That's a very wonderful uh, revelation of who he is. Matthew 21, 15. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children calling out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. It says they were displeased. Not that they could refute it or that they said this simply isn't true. This is nonsense. They were displeased about the fact, but the fact is the fact. Matthew twenty-two forty-three, Jesus raises a question to some of these hostile listeners. He said unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? How then? Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? His son, the Messiah, was standing right in front of them, and they could not come to terms with that mystery, the mystery of the incarnation, an amazing and wonderful mystery. We will be talking about some of the teachings of the Lord Jesus in the Gospels, particularly parables, as quickly as possible with, um, with seeds, but... We get into the New Testament after the fulfillment, the Messiah being the fulfillment, and we come to the theological and the practical. For example, Romans 4.13, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. Not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. 
faith qualifies us to be part of that lineage and heritage and descent faith. Galatians 3.29, If ye be Christ's, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise that makes us heirs through faith. If we belong to Christ, we come to the practical. And you all know lovely passages and the, the follow-up of these thoughts of the, the fruit of the Spirit, right? If that incorruptible seed is a reality in your life, there is going to be a natural overflow, a natural uh, promulgation of, of that reality, and it should come out in things like the fruit of the Spirit. As we know from Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Ephesians 5.9, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth. These are the things that arise from the life that has been transformed by that incorruptible seed. So we, we, I'm starting to look when I'm, st I'm, I'm trying to um, maybe compare and reconcile this idea. You have the idea of seed as human descent, and you have this idea of seed leading to fruit. And one realm is the animal kingdom, and the other realm is the plant kingdom. These are the two big kingdoms in biology. The, the top of the taxonomic chart started plants, animals. Whoa, the tree gets very big. As uh, my brother Ime knows, who does this sort of work, I used to do some of this sort of work, delta T. Delta T is very important in engineering. What's your, what's your time step? If you don't pick your time step correctly, your calculations can come out to be utterly meaningless. The, the, the computer software could like explode with numbers that are all over the map and have no usefulness and have no meaning. Or else you pick a, a, a delta, that, that delta T is probably too, too big. If you pick a small one to try to solve that problem, you probably enter, uh, generate a warehouse full of numbers that you have to sift through to find out which of them are useful to you, and it's far too many to sift through. So you need to optimize your, your window of time when you consider things. And I've been thinking that when it comes to the uh, shorter-term things coming out of our lives, perhaps, that that is a, an outcome associated with the idea of fruit. In a longer term, like a God uh, panoramic biblical perspective, is along the lines of heir and descendant. Romans 8.15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So if you're adopted, you're included in the will. You're an heir, right? So these time scales, one of them affects all the whole history of humanity. From Adam and Eve in innocence, then living under their own conscience, and then you have man over the earth, you have promise to Abraham, law to Moses, grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the millennium. The entire time scale of God uh, is in view, I think. But it also is something that 
You know, I'm, I, I'm, in, I'm on this earth, I'm 62 years old. How much more time have I got? I actually have no idea. I better make use of today. I better make use of this coming week. That's my responsibility before God. My temporal window, my delta T, isn't very long. I should make good use of it. How my life uh, can bear fruit is a very valid and important question. What does um, this seed thinking promote? Well, I think it, it, it uh, promotes patience. We'll look at some scriptures, uh, uh, parables of the Lord Jesus himself. I think we need to be patient with ourselves. We may not see the kind of fruit that God wants. I don't think there's a lot of point in getting angry about that. I think that is a subject for prayer, a subject to bring before the Lord. But to do so with expectation, the, the implications are big. That's an encouraging thing. The Lord can affect my life and the lives of others now, today, in my short lifetime, very short lifetime. But, as we can see from the Bible, the implication for future generations could be huge. Built into this seed thinking is hope. Hope. You, as a believer, with that incorruptible seed in your heart, can bear fruit. And you should bear fruit. And you can bear fruit. You should think that way. You should think about the implications of your ministry, and yes, you do have a ministry, for future generations. I think God takes the long view. I think we need to think that way. Take the long view as well. We need to think that these things are not for fun. These things have the highest and best eternal purpose. The idea of... Uh, accomplishing many beneficial things. And the Lord Jesus himself encouraged us to ask questions, did he not? By their fruit ye shall know them. So isn't it fair to say, where is the fruit? Where is the fruit is a valid question. And unfortunately, what is the fruit? Sometimes the fruit is actually poison. What, does the, what do these things require, seed thinking require? It requires faith. If I have a seed in my hand and I go to plant it, I must have some belief that there, it's worth planting this seed. If I don't even think that, why would I expend any energy? You do need to have some faith if you're going to think along the, line, the lines of the seed of God. You have to have a starting point, right? Things get planted. Maybe my life hasn't been very fruitful, but that doesn't mean you can't start planting. It doesn't mean you, you say, well, that's it. I haven't accomplished much up, up until now. Therefore, forget it. That is not the right way to think in light of the power of God's incorruptible seed. You need to believe that something could happen. Maybe it'll happen to you. Maybe it'll happen to those around you. Maybe there'll be a very big harvest. And I, <clears throat> I know very little about farming. Uh, my mom, I was saying to um, Mr. Boyd, who's visiting us, whose mother's maiden name was Boyd, 
got up real early on a farm in northern Ontario to milk the cows and walked a long distance to get to school. So I don't get to tell my kids about my hardships, but at least I can tell my kids about their grandmother's hardships and how she actually had a tough life and actually was a very um, productive person, amazingly productive person. Farming is work. Work is part of life. We should embrace it. We should get involved in ministry. So, at 5 after 12, these are my three parables that I've selected. The entire Bible with 66 books, with 560 mentions of seed and fruit, you hardly know where to begin. You have an embarrassment of riches in scriptural teaching about seed and fruit. And actually, this was an obstacle for me to finish this message. I had one of those weeks called Pillar to Post. That was my week, from pillar to post. And then I thought, who better to share with on the subject of seeds than the Lord Jesus Christ himself? So here we have three parables. Another parable he put forth unto them in Matthew 13, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which is indeed the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Very small beginning. Very big and obvious and useful and uh, beneficial outcome. Parable number two, Matthew 13, the beginning of the same chapter. <clears throat> very, very familiar. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth, and when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell unto good ground, into good ground, and brought forth fruit. Some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. The third parable, the parable of the identifying fruit. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now, the first parable clearly teaches us that big and significant things can start from very small things. The second parable, I believe, is teaching us to be sowers. 
Do you think that this parable was taught by the Lord Jesus so that certain people could excuse themselves and say, you know, I'm like uh, a pile of rocks. Your gospel is no use to me. Did he teach it in order for that person to, to try to excuse himself by saying, I am unfit? Not at all. Not at all. The parable of the sower says, you don't know the outcome. You don't know where the seed will land and what will happen to it. You cannot prejudge such things. You don't say to the street person on the sidewalk that you are a waste of my time. The Lord said, no, no. The seed is sown everywhere. The rest is up to God. We need to be sowers. And the third parable is simply to say that there is a spiritual law. It is unavoidable, it is inviolable, and that is that what is inside comes out. It's inevitable. And what people really are always comes to light. That's true. That's true. Of the treasure, what is the treasure of your heart? As the Lord said in the Beatitudes, it comes out, doesn't it? It comes out. What you really treasure. So what are some applications in closing? I think we need to be patient with ourselves. We need to have hope because our lives can bear good fruit. We need to have the purposes of God in mind. We know that fruitfulness has its own reward, but in the eternal picture, in the big picture, you can't even estimate the amount of benefit that can come from a fruitful life. Chinese guy named Watchman Nee wrote a book many years ago. It's called The Normal Christian Life. <laughs> what is the normal Christian life? Good question. Where's the fruit? I would say it's probably part of the, I would say, suggest to you that's part of the normal Christian life, that your life bears fruit. And as you examine your life and what's coming out of your mouth, what is the fruit? What is it? And what do you see around you? Be discerning. Be a discerning person. Let's also have faith and participate. Let's get started. Let's believe that there can be a harvest. Let's be in the Word of God so that we can sow the Word of God. That is part of uh, thinking in biblical terms, using that idea of seed and fruit. And I'll close with this verse that I started with. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. I trust that that is something that you personally know about, that you know that you have that incorruptible Word of God in your life and in your heart. Shall we pray? Father, we are uh, weak and faulty people. We are often intimidated by what's going on around us. Help us to be courageous Christians. Help us to know that through your word, that incorruptible word in our hearts, that we can bear fruit. May we be refreshed in your word. May we be strengthened and get the essential things that we need 
to live our Christian lives in the coming week. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your attention.